This is Listen Lakeland, the show that keeps you up to date on all the things that make our city a great place to live, work, and play. Today's host is a former hospital administrator and currently a healthcare consultant in operations, strategy, and facility planning. She's also served on a number of city and nonprofit agency boards in the Lakeland and Tampa Bay area, including Interact Alliance, and she's currently the chair of Lakeland Vision. Please welcome your host, Carol Phillipson. Welcome to the good life. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Carol Phillipson, and it's great to be hosting this month's episode of Listen Lakeland. This show is an extension of Lakeland Vision. For over two decades, Lakeland Vision has been a voice for the citizens of Lakeland, working with community stakeholders to create a bright future for our city. Today on Listen Lakeland, we have with us Angie Ellison, the Executive Director of Interact Alliance. She's been executive director since 2001 and has grown the agency from a budget of $200,000 to over a million and assisted in establishing drug prevention coalitions for youth and adults. She's also added a division of evidence-based educators and established social norms marketing campaigns for youth and adults. But even more, she added level two prevention to agency licensure, and they received accreditation by the Joint Commission in 2015, a big achievement for the agency. Welcome, Angie. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us some about the history of Interact Alliance. Okay, well, they basically started in the 80s when Nancy Reagan had a platform for um, drug prevention, and... They what they did was set up what are called prides all across the country, and they had conventions and and worked on the problem. And then Governor at the time Bob Graham came along and invited the activists from all of the communities in Florida to get together and kind of charged them with performing groups to work on their problem locally. So they formed agencies or. At the time, they were called Pride, so ours was Pride of Lakeland. There was a Pride of Winter Haven. There was lots of them. And um, it was kind of an old version of what is today called a coalition. Um, A lot more science has been um, added to it, but at the time... It was, you know, kind of sit around the table and what what resources do we have here in the community to do things? So there was a march actually every um, October during Red Ribbon Month, and they actually closed down South Florida, which they would never do today. And um, you know, I think started at the Civic Center and went through Lakeland and and um, had a big rally. And we still have that rally today, but obviously the march is different. And now we have a run, and there's just lots of different ways that things have. Um, progressed since then. Um, But basically, they worked with not a lot of money. What I understand is they met the YMCA, you know, a handful of concerned citizens, and um, passed the hat for the little electric bill that they had to pay for one office at the Y. But eventually, they got larger and were able to have their own office 
and a part-time person. Um, and it was um, founded by Kay McConnell. That's who the governor called up from Lakeland. And some people, you know, know Kay. Um, but, uh, and she was really very active with our agency until they retired to the mountains in North Carolina around 2010. But uh, she was a sixth grade teacher at Southwest Junior High then and had a couple of her students overdose in her homeroom classroom. So um, she just got right away very interested in what kind of education is there for kids and what can we do to make this problem better. Of course, it was she'd gone to high school and college in the 70s and 60s and 70s. So she knew a little bit about how the culture was changing. Um, but that became her passion and her mission for the rest of her life. Um, so we were very lucky to have her as our founder. And um, then Around the 90s, um, the prides were kind of starting to fade away, and there wasn't as much support nationally. So we formed the Drug Prevention Resource Center and became licensed by the state of Florida through the Department of Children and Families to be the provider in this region, which is Polk Islands and Hardy County. And that's the name many people here in Lakeland still remember. Still remember. Absolutely. And so a lot of times I'll say Interact Alliance, formerly Drug Prevention Resource Center, it's kind of like Prince, you know, <laughs> we're just going to so still <laughs> say how, our name. How did we get to Interact Alliance from Drug Prevention? Well, in 2010, our board was doing a survey really more about how well we were known in the community and how well we were utilized and what if people knew what we did. And because drug was our first name, a lot of people thought we were rehab. So that discovery led to the idea that we really needed to rebrand. Um, branding these days happens almost every five to 10 years or rebranding. So it's kind of a trend. Um, so we had um, a board member and a local ad agency that helped us to go through the process of picking a name, which was kind of fun. And um, we came up with, um, or the board kind of finalized on um, Interact Alliance. And the reason for it was we really want to convey that we were a partnership in the community. So thus Alliance and Interact, but Interact is spelled I-N-N-E-R-A-C-T without the T, um, the extra T. So we um, wanted to say, and I say often when I introduce ourselves, is that we're an interaction in the community, but we're also trying to educate kids, especially, but families and and others, that this is an inner act. This is something you gather the information and you make the choice to go with a healthy lifestyle or unhealthy one and risky behaviors or more healthy choices. So we thought that it was kind of the perfect combination of the partnership part, but also the individual um, part. So can you tell us the mission? The official mission is to reduce the abuse and underage use of harmful substances along with involvement in other risky behaviors through community awareness and involvement, prevention education, economic support, and leadership development. And I know that's a mouthful, but we really want folks to understand our more broad approach. A lot of agencies are in a silo where they can only talk about tobacco or they can only go after fentanyl 
or you know whatever the kind of trendy drug is that's got people concerned and we have a broader approach so what risky behaviors are we talking about bullying um anger management is another area that we've been involved in um and those teachers that we talked about that are going into the schools um or we will talk about um they're not just talking about substances and they certainly aren't talking about substances with a kindergartner or a first grader so um what we need to do is build the best, the better child. So their ability to succeed in school, their ability to communicate, their ability to be tolerant of one another, all of those kinds of social emotional skills is what prevents someone from becoming a user and, and, and especially an addict down the road. So we're really trying to do that. So where does the education start in the schools? Where do you go in? At what grade level? Really, you can be any grade. Um, we would love to be in every grade. But what we have done is focus on the grade levels where there's a transition just happening or about to happen. So when you go from fifth to sixth grade, uh, statistically, most kids in Polk County are going to be offered a gateway drug around 11 and a half. So that's right there between fifth and sixth grade. Then we go ahead and do a booster, some booster stuff in seventh grade, and then we do ninth grade. So fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and ninth are those transition years that we really, really focus on. But if you ask us to do preschool or you asked us to do any grade level, we would be glad to do it. And there's lots of things that we can do to, um, if not give them a six to 10 week program because there's not enough people or not enough money, we can still come and do a one-time thing or something that we can leave with your teacher to do continuous things. We try to give them um, writing prompts and things like that that they can use throughout their kind of typical education that still allows the child to educate themselves and understand um, some substance abuse issues. So does the school system or a particular class ask you to come in? How does that happen? Um, the school system has approved us. Um, and so we work very closely with the Mark Wilcox Center, which is kind of the uh, substance abuse and social emotional um, mental health arm of the school system. So we're approved through them. And then we send out um, lots of emails and messages and try to connect with folks that we have relationships with to allow us in the schools. It's a, it's a tough thing. Um, schools are under a lot of pressure to perform on tests and we're asking for classroom time. So, um, it, it takes a while to build that trust and understanding between the two sides. And, um, but once they have us, we very rarely get kicked out. Um, they start recognizing how much the kids can gain from that, from that process and that we're actually giving them prompts and math problems and all kinds of things that could connect the two so that they're continuing to learn about uh, our subjects even after we're gone. So it, is it a one-time program or does it occur over a certain period of time that you go into a classroom? Most of them are between six and 10 weeks. Um, we, we know from the evidence that the more you go, the more effective you are. So we'll do the one-time things, and sometimes that's all that can happen for a school. But we're really 
hoping for that six to 10 week. Actually, our middle school is an 11 week program. So anywhere between six and 11, depending on the programs that they select. And how many schools are you typically in during a year? We're in about 69 right now. And um, that's maybe we're only in one grade or maybe we're in multiple grades. But um, what usually happens is we get into one grade and if we're available for a second group of kids, they usually want us. Um, because even though they're giving up classroom time, it's also giving the teacher some time to maybe, you know, pull kids aside and work with them or do some paperwork and, you know, bureaucratic stuff that they have to do. So it's, you know, it's helpful for everybody, but we really want that teacher somewhat they don't have to be 100% paying attention, but we want them, they're there to take care of the discipline, but also we want them to reinforce what we're talking about whenever they see an opportunity because they're with them the most. And what counties does Interact Alliance cover? Uh, we cover Polk, Highlands, and Hardy. What kind of team of teachers do you have? We have 10 amazing teachers. Most of them have been with us for over eight years, some of them as many as 15 or 16. And um, they either have, um, they're either certified teachers who've been in the classroom and been in the school system, or sometimes I'll have someone who has been a trainer. So perhaps they were, I had a lady at one time that was a trainer in the army and I had somebody at one time that was a dare officer with a police department. So they don't just have to be educators, but they have to have some sort of education background with their job, their former jobs. And so the names I see of some of the programs are keep a clear mind for Mm -hmm. fourth graders, too good for drugs for fifth graders, project alert, for sixth and seventh grade, and too good for drugs and violence in ninth grades. Right. What happened in about 2000 is that the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Authority, which is kind of the federal arm, SAMHSA it's called fondly, um, kind of the federal arm of the health realm um, with the government said, okay, you can't just sit around your kitchen table and decide what you're going to teach your kids. This stuff needs to be evidence-based. And I can't believe that it took till 2000 for that to happen. But um, that is what happened. And they came up with a national registry of evidence-based prevention programs who've been through that trial and um, scientific process to prove that it works and then you select from that list which ones fit your community the best so for example the too good for drugs one was created and used in tampa so we know that that's a very similar population to ours Um, and then project alert is typically partially rural partially um, small towns and cities so we tried to match all of the demographics of Polk County when we began choosing them in the 2000s. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What are some of your other programs that you have? Well, we also have our social norms outreach, which we're very proud of. This is our 10th year. I come from a marketing background, so this one gets me. I'm all excited about all of it, but I, this one really is my thing. Um When studies were done with kids and surveys, for example, the state of Florida has been doing a survey for over 20 years of our students. So we have rich data about what they think 
and why they think it. Um, we discovered that most kids think that most kids use. And that's because it's that same clanging bell kind of um, theory is it on Mondays, it's the kid that was out drunk that's talking, right? The other people aren't. So they get this message and then you add to that what they see on the internet, what they hear in music, what they see on movies and television. And the, the summation of that is that the perception is that, hey, everybody must be doing it. And when you think everyone is doing it, you're more likely to try it. So what we're doing with social norming is we're giving them the real facts around students in their community so then they can make a choice. It's always that interaction. It's always that choice that they make themselves, but it's based on fact, not on a misperception. So for example, 87% of kids in 6th through 12th grade in Polk County do not use marijuana. Um, 84% do not use alcohol. 96% do not use traditional tobacco. However, 88% do not use vaping. So you can see we were doing great. We were down to 4% and then vaping came along. So now we you know, have another job to do. But the bottom line is that most kids don't use, right? All of those are still vast majorities. So when a child realizes that and accepts that number, then they're less likely to experiment. We also are teaching parents this at the same time, using a totally different looking campaign, but still the information is the same. Then a parent is more likely to hold the line. They're not going to say, oh, everybody's doing it because they now have the facts that everybody's not doing it. They're not going to say, oh, it's only tobacco or it's only marijuana because at the same time we're going to train them that we're talking to, same time we're talking to them, we're going to train them that, you know, this can lead, the, they're called a gateway for a reason. It's the entry into harder drugs. So trying to hold that line with their kids as long as possible with illegal and and, and legal drugs to age of onset as far as possible is keeping their kids as safe as possible. So that's kind of the whole premise of social norming. But we can stick it in all kinds of places. That's what's so exciting. A marketing person would say it has legs. We go and talk to parents about it and have a trailer there that shows a mock teenager's bedroom with all the signs and symptoms. But we didn't want to be just doom and gloom and, you know, chicken little that the sky is falling. Then we want to give them strategies of how to combat that and how for that not to be their child's bedroom. Um, with the kids, they get all kinds of prizes around social norms. So it's always fun. So that's something they look forward to. And they walk around with the shirts and these percentages on, and then they're actually the walking advertisement for social norms. Just that, just the fact that they're putting the shirt on is reducing their likelihood of experimenting because they're representing the positive, right? So always trying to turn it on its head is what we're doing. How do you get to the parents to get them to come? That's the hard part. The kids are, you know, we go to the cafeteria. They're in the, system, they're right? in the system, so they're kind of um, don't have a choice. But they do have a choice in the cafeterias, and it's a feeding frenzy, so they love it. But what we try to do is get to parents through um, companies. If you have 
an ability to have us come into a training. We'll do that. I just went to a church the other night for parents, whether teens were in um, youth group. Um, we do it at schools, but if you haven't been to a PTA meeting lately, you don't realize it's not the whole cafeteria full anymore. It's a very small handful of people. It doesn't mean we won't come and do our very best, but we really want to get to as many people as possible. So you're also about to see um, some radio advertising, some television advertising, and some posters and things like that, so that um, billboards, so that we can just really keep that message going. And hopefully, now that COVID is dying down, we hope we hope um, is you know get back into that that um, into the schools and into the the businesses to talk to parents. Can you talk to us about Stand Up Polk yes. and the Youth, Youth Impact yes. Coalition? I sure can. A coalition is defined by the feds as uh, it always has to have 12 sectors. So it's law enforcement, educators, parents, kids. They're, I won't go through all 12. But basically you have to have at least one of each person um, represented at the table. And then what they do is look at the data of your community and see what are the most important problems that we have here. And then taking that data to make an action plan. So they're really starting, especially in the state of Florida, where the state invested for there to be a coalition in every county. Um, they're really looking for the coalition to make, to make movement in the community. Um, and so we formed in 2005, we formed Stand Up Polk, and we decided as a group, and now I'm going to say we because I don't lead this. I'm a member like everybody else. Um, we decided as a group that um, having one student there at the table around a bunch of adults one you know evening or lunchtime a month was really not the impact we wanted. So we created Youth Impact. And when I say we, the students did, everything is teen-led, uh, adult-guided. So they began looking at the data and making decisions. They also learned how to do focus groups so that we could talk, they could talk peer-to-peer -to, -peer to find out what their peers, you know, thought was important. And we kind of limped along with five to 11 members for a few years, and then we decided, um, and I am going to mention his name because he's now the mayor. We went to um, Mr. Mutz, who we knew was a leadership um, proponent, and said, this is what we want to do. And we, we were talking about a year from now, and he picked up the phone and talked to the superintendent, and we started within six weeks. So that was a scramble. <laughs> but basically, we have now made Youth Impact similar to Leadership Lakeland or Leadership Polk. So those we have two students from every high school, and they um, come together. And the first year is a leadership class. They learn about their their community because you can't change your community if you don't know your community. And then um, at the same time, they're looking at the data around risky behaviors and learning how to do focus groups and creating committees. So those committees are anything from Project Prom, which will be happening each year, February, March, April. And um, then they also do a lot of the social norming work. They create all of the design work because it's got to be 
it has to appeal to their peers, not to old people like me. And so they really work hard in addition to doing their leadership class. Then they have the option to go on to be committee chairs and or executives um, in the organization. So, you know, we went from five to 11 to we now have anywhere from 40 to 75, um, if you include everyone um, in the in the organization, and they're doing all kinds of great work. It sounds like a great program. Yes, it is. And by the way, in in January of every year, the applications are open for the next class. So if you have a eighth, ninth, or tenth, or eleventh grader, um, send them our way. We'd love to see that see that application. It sounds like you have a lot of really great programs. Tell us how the community can get involved. Well, anything from donating prom and suits, prom wear and suits, to um, donating financially, to getting involved as a volunteer. We need volunteers in the office. We want to keep our teachers in the classroom as much as possible so we can see as many kids as possible. So whatever volunteers can do behind the scenes helps us. We also need matching funds, which includes your time um, for a lot of our grants. Right now, just for the state of Florida, we're looking at needing about $400,000 match. Um, if you had a service or a business and you could donate some service or, or product to us, all of that counts. So everybody needs to think outside the box about ways that they can donate. Um, the Red Ribbon Run is our big annual fundraiser um, connected with um, a f one mile fun run for about 1500 kids. So you can imagine how many volunteers we need that day. Um, so any way that you can be involved that feels comfortable to you or uses your skill set, we're glad to have them. Um, also, if you're an older person, we would love to start a mentoring program that involves folks that have that expertise and you need to get your medicine cabinet empty of anything that could hurt someone. So twice a year, we have a DEA take back day that Stand Up Polk partners with. And we really need to get that medicine out of your out of your medicine cabinet. Well, with Lakeland just being named the sixth most attractive city to retire to, retirees, there's lots of opportunities. If you're a retired case manager, social worker, or just a retiree who's interested in mentoring, Absolutely. There are so many opportunities. Or if you're a handyman or if you like to do, we could have kids, um, folks touring the, the adults through the, the trailer with that mock bedroom. There's just all kinds of things that folks can do. If somebody wanted to go through the trailer, how would they be able to do that? Who would they call? They can call myself or anyone at the office at 802-0777 and we can schedule a presentation and a tour. If it's an individual that just wants to come by the office and check it out, we're glad to do that as well. They just need to call ahead because sometimes um, we store it somewhere else. So um, we want to make sure it's there and available for them when they call. So a club or a, a volunteer organization could arrange also to see it. Absolutely. If you're a parent or someone, you have kids in your lives, which is all of us, then you need to have this information. Can you go a little more into the Red Ribbon Run? Sure. And how much is raised through that? Absolutely. Um, I believe in 2021, which we were still iffy because of the 
COVID situation, we raised about $50,000, um, not sponsorships, donations. That doesn't count all the in-kind that we received. It'll probably be double or triple of that. Our goal there, the Red Ribbon Run is the culmination of a whole six weeks to a month worth of activities where we really focus on getting that red ribbon out there and on people's lapels. And the whole point is to show that you support prevention and to raise awareness about the importance of prevention. For every dollar spent in prevention, you're saving three to five dollars in treatment. Not to mention, I mean, it's not all about the dollar. I mean, think about all the pain and suffering that a family and a community and an individual goes through when we're looking at addiction. Most addicts take about seven times going through rehab, which costs around $100,000 each time. And then it either works or it didn't work. I mean, that's almost my year's budget, right? So um, think about trying to prevent that in our community. And I think you would agree that it's important. And the Red Ribbon Run here is one of the largest in the state. That's correct. We have almost 1,500 runners. I think it was 1,501 this year. Um, So we broke that little ceiling and we break them up in age groups and um, grade level because you can't let 1,500 children run around like mirror all at the same time. So we run them in heats and then we also offer a family run. So if you wanted to, you know, if your younger children were in strollers and the whole family wanted to run together, you can do that as well. And it's all about showing support while they're getting messages about um, prevention. Thank you, Angie. And thank you, our audience, for tuning in to Listen Lakeland. Your feedback is valued, and we encourage you to head over to www.lakelandvision.org to participate in our monthly survey related to today's show topic. I said, welcome to the good life. Listen Lakeland is brought to you as a collaborative project between Lakeland Vision, the City of Lakeland, and Hall Communications. Truly a community working together to keep you informed on the many things that make Lakeland such an amazing city. Thank you for being with us.